0: Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, proud partner in personalized medicine, developing tailored treatments for cancer patients. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Anish Chagpar and Stephen Gore. I'm Bruce Barber. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week it's a conversation about radiation oncology with doctors Henry Park and Kristen Knowlton. Dr. Park is an assistant professor of therapeutic radiology at Yale School of Medicine. Dr. Knowlton is an assistant clinical professor at Yale and a clinician in therapeutic radiology and Dr. Chagpar is an Associate Professor of Surgery and the Assistant Director for Global Oncology at Yale Comprehensive Cancer Center.
1: So Kristen, maybe we'll start with you. Tell us a little bit more about
2: what exactly is radiation oncology? What do radiation oncologists do? Well, we treat cancer and some benign conditions, which are non-cancerous conditions, with radiation. Okay.
1: Um, So tell us more about radiation. I mean, it seems a pretty scary term
2: to people who have not experienced it. Yes, certainly patients do come into their initial consultation, you know, nervous about the the word radiation, um, because often, you know, we are told to avoid radiation from the microwave or from the sun. Our goal and our job is to use radiation to treat the tumor or the lesion that needs to be treated with a highly collimated, targeted uh, treatment plan and to spare the healthy tissues nearby and using that technique to really limit the toxicity and at the same time increase how effective the radiation can be.
1: So Henry, do Are all patients candidates for radiation therapy or only some? How do you decide whether you need radiation for your particular kind of cancer?
3: So not all patients are candidates for radiation therapy. Approximately half of patients at some point during their cancer treatment will receive radiation at some point, whether it's for the intent of cure or for the intent of symptom control or sometimes both. Uh, so it really depends on, on the stage of disease, the location of where the disease is, uh, and also the functional status of the patient at baseline in terms of determining whether or not they may be candidates for radiation therapy.
1: And so, Kristen, you talked a little bit about Um, using these radiation waves, uh, these beams of radiation, to treat cancer and avoid normal tissue. How exactly do you do that? Because I can imagine that a lot of patients are worried about how the radiation may affect normal tissue, how it could affect their heart, their lung, uh, other things that might be in the vicinity of where the cancer is.
2: Well, that's very true, very true, Dr. Chagpar. You know, I treat breast cancer as my primary field of interest, so the heart and the lung that you mentioned are key areas that my patients tend to be concerned about. The first thing that we use is we have to determine what's the best position to treat the patient in so that we can treat the area of interest and best keep the radiation off of the healthy tissues. Then most patients uh, undergo what we call a CT simulation where we do a CAT scan in the treatment position. And that CAT scan is used by the radiation oncologist to plan the radiation. And in those images, we can see the target area or areas. But then, just as importantly, we can see what we call those organs at risk, those that we want to avoid. Um, And then we use very, we use different techniques. For example, a most patients are treated on what we call linear accelerator, which is sort of the workhorse of the radiation machines. And in the head of the linear accelerator, there are multiple, multiple small leaves that one can adjust the position of using the treatment planning software to shape the radiation into a very particular shape that's perfect for that patient. Um, other techniques that we may use, for example, to avoid the heart, some patients are treated holding their breath. Others, it's not needed to, to keep the radiation off the heart or the lung. Um, And so each patient's plan is specifically designed for that patient's body shape, the location of the target that we're treating, and the location of the organs at risk.
1: But if all of that is based on this CAT scan, this CT simulation, What if a patient moves or or isn't in exactly the same position as they were during
2: the CT simulation? Are those normal tissues now at more risk? That's a really great question. And actually, when patients come for the radiation, you know, the typical patient, uh, we tell that patient that he or she has a 15 minute treatment time. But he or she will quickly find out that the first The bulk of that treatment time, the first 10 minutes, is really designed to make sure that the position that the patient is in is absolutely perfect. Um, We start by, at the CT simulation, putting various marks on the patient. Some radiation oncologists may put permanent tattoos on the patient that help with the setup each day because those tattoos are aligned to a laser grid. Also we can use marks, uh, temporary marks, with a small little tape over them in lieu of tattoos. For many patients, a mold is made under them, and, uh, and that mold is used every day for treatment. Anything that happens during the CT simulation is replicated during each treatment. The same pillow is placed under their knees, The uh, whatever board they're laying on is in the exact same position, their mold is there, their arms, legs, thorax, everything is in the exact same position. So that's how the th- patients are set up in the same position each day. But we also do what's uh, gl- um, globally called onboard imaging, where we do imaging of the patient, whether it's on a daily or weekly or other schedule that's determined to be best for that patient. Some patients we do port films once a week and those port films will help tell us that the patient and the radiation beams and everything continues to be in the perfect position. Some patients get a mini CAT scan right on the table prior to each treatment, that's called a cone beam CT. And other patients can have what we call surface imaging, where there's three cameras that are consistently in every moment that they're on the table, viewing where the surface of their body is, and if the patient moves even out of the treatment position beyond a set parameter of, let's say, four millimeters, the radiation machine will turn off. So there's lots of different techniques tailored for each patient to make sure that his or her position is perfect each day for treatment and during the course uh, of, of the treatment itself. So Dr. Park, how do you
1: decide which of those myriad of techniques you're going to use to make sure that the dose that you're giving to a patient is going where you want?
3: We often use many of them at the same time, in fact, and it really depends on the, on the location of the tumor. So whereas Kristen treats breast cancer a lot, I also treat head and neck cancer quite a bit and brain cancer. So for those patients, we often use a mask, in fact, that is a plastic mask that is at first wet and warm, and then gets customized and shaped to the patient's anatomy uh, so that it dries and hardens over about a 10 to 15 minute period. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's something that you keep uh, the patient in place uh, in the shoulder and the head region uh, so that the, uh, the patient really aligns the same way each time. Then it really depends after that which structure we want to be avoiding most and which one we want to match to uh, in order to figure out which type of onboard imaging to use each day before we do the radiation treatment.
1: So it sounds like there's so many tools that you use to really make sure that the treatment that you're delivering is safe. But still... You know, patients may ask about side effects from radiation, and certainly, you know, patients who come into the clinic may have had relatives who uh, they say, well, gee, you know, Uncle Harry had radiation 40 years ago, and he got
2: burnt. Um, What do you say to patients about that, Kristen? Well, first of all, I tell the I tell the patient that each patient is different and uh, and, of course, the radiation for each location is different. But I also talk to them about some advances that we've made in the modern era if that patient was treated a long time ago. And I offer reassurance, and i I explain to the patients the techniques that we're going to use to try to keep any acute and late term side effects as little as possible. and um and yeah, yeah there's also. I'm sorry,
3: yeah, there's also a technique called intensity modulated radiation therapy, which is what we use for many areas in the body, including the head, the throat, the lung, the prostate, and some other areas as well, where we can really uh, customize the beams and and, sh- and change the intensity of the beams as it goes around the patient's body to really minimize those side effects as much as we can and uh, maximize the dose that we get to the target that we're aiming for.
1: So are there some side effects that patients can experience regardless of where the tumor is versus other side effects that are very specific to where that tumor might be located?
2: Well, most of the side effects are intimately related to the location of the the target area. However, fatigue is a universal side effect that whatever site the patient is being treated at, we always tell the patient that he or she should expect to feel uh, some fatigue usually starting during the course of treatment and adding and, um, and continuing for several weeks afterwards. The other side effect that's a late-term effect that is uh, universal is the risk of secondary malignancy, which is the risk of the radiation causing a new cancer. I know that's a very scary sounding one. Fortunately, that is extremely rare um, but it is something that is universal regardless of site.
3: It often takes at least 10 years for that to occur, if it even does. And the uh, the chance of that happening is much less than 1% in most cases.
1: And so... Um, how, do you, how do you talk to patients about specific side effects um, that they may have? So for example, Dr. Park, you mentioned that you treat head and neck cancers and prostate cancers. What might be some of the radiation side effects that patients might have when they get radiation for those kinds of cancers?
3: So for head and neck cancer, the, uh, the most common side effects are often taste changes and saliva changes as well. So patients often will get a dry mouth and everything will start tasting funny either metallic or bland or something like that where it can take away the enjoyment of food, temporarily at least. That those side effects tend to take a little while to recover afterwards. The other ones include skin reaction uh, and uh, mouth sores. So this is not really a uh, this is not a very easy treatment to go through, yet uh, we reserve radiation for patients who really need it. And that's the case for radiation in general is that we do not take the, the side effects lightly and we know that uh, that radiation can be, can have some side effects. Uh, but at the same time, we, we try to use it uh, in very selected patients uh, who really would benefit from it more than, than be harmed by it.
1: And what about for prostate cancer?
3: For prostate cancer, the rectum and the bladder are nearby. So the bladder itself, uh, it can can cause uh, increased urinary frequency, uh, sometimes during the day and sometimes at night. Uh, In the rectum also can cause more loose stools as well and more frequent trips to the bathroom. We do have special techniques uh, more recently, something called space ore, uh, which is uh, a gel that can be inserted before the prostate radiation that can uh, create some space between the rectum and And the prostate and therefore our rectal doses uh, are much lower than they used to be and we're seeing this in clinical practice that their patients are who are getting prostate cancer treatment tend to have quite a bit less rectal side effects than they used to
1: and Kristen what about breast cancer what are the side effects that people can anticipate after radiation for breast cancer
2: well um, I do tell the patients as we discussed uh, that fatigue they will experience fatigue All patients who receive radiation for breast cancer will get some sort of skin changes within the radiation field. We have a lot of modern techniques to keep that less than the past. For example, we use a technique called field and field that's similar to that IMRT technique that Dr. Park was talking about that can uh, better shape the radiation dose and can help limit the hot spots and the cold spots too, which is also important to help make the radiation be as effective as possible. We also have uh, some updated lotions that we prescribe. I do prescribe a steroid cream for some of my patients to use every day during radiation treatment and for up to one to two weeks afterwards where a large uh, phase three trial did show that there was, while there wasn't necessarily a decrease in the number of patients that had skin reaction, because I told you pretty much everyone gets it, there was a decrease in the intensity of it. And the patients do find that this lotion is helpful. So the skin reaction and the fatigue are pretty much universal. And I have to say for most of the patients, that's pretty much all that we see. Um, Other things that we do, Uh, You know, there's a list, a long list. Some of them are extraordinarily rare, as Henry was saying, you know, less than 1%. But things that we do tend to see sometimes in the clinic can be some cosmetic changes in the breast over time. You can get some contracture of the treated breast where it gets a little bit smaller than the other side. We certainly are seeing it to be much, that contracture to be much less severe than in the past. I think because of this field and field technique where the hot spots are really being limited. Also, there's been um, a shift in the dosing paradigm for breast cancer patients. Previously, patients who kept their breast uh, were treated for five to six weeks, and now we're treating them for three to four weeks, and the side effects from the more modern treatment to the skin and the cosmetic side effects have been less.
1: Well, that is so interesting, and we're going to pick up on that and learn more about different radiation techniques and how those may influence the and lessen the side effects from radiation right after we take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more about radiation treatment and its side effects with my guests, Dr. Henry Park and Kristen Knowlton.
0: Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, a science-led biopharmaceutical company dedicated to partnering with leading scientific companies, organizations, and the community to improve outcomes for advanced cancer patients. More at AstraZeneca-US.com. This is a Medical Minute about colorectal cancer. When detected early, colorectal cancer is easily treated and highly curable and as a result, it's recommended that men and women over the age of 50 have regular colonoscopies to screen for the disease. Tumor gene analysis has helped improve management of colorectal cancer by identifying the patients most likely to benefit from chemotherapy and newer targeted agents, resulting in more patient-specific treatments. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio.
1: This is Dr. Anise Shagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guests, Dr. Henry Park and Kristen Knowlton. We're talking about radiation therapy, a therapy that many cancer patients will have to face, um, and the potential side effects. Now, right before the break, Kristen, you had mentioned that there are treatment advances in radiation oncology where, you know, in the past, patients who were treated with radiation for breast cancer had six weeks of treatment, and now that has diminished somewhat down to three or four weeks. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. And so, but is that as effective? I mean, it's one thing to say the side effects are less. Uh, certainly, people would love to get out of therapy earlier, I would imagine, but is it as
2: effective? Uh, yes, it is, and I'm not just... you. I'm not just saying that. That is based on well-done, phase three randomized trials. Any sort of major change that one would make in radiation treatment or anything really that anybody does in radiation treatment is is bolstered or backed up by evidence. Uh, evidence Evidence-based practice is the way that we like to practice. So in the literature, there are three large trials, the START-A, the START-B, and what we colloquially call the Whalen trial um, done in Canada with large numbers of patients where they were randomized to the more traditional course of radiation spanning the five to six weeks, and the other group was randomized to a hypofractionated course of three to four weeks. Interestingly, however, in the hypofractionated course, those patients receive a slightly higher dose of radiation per day. And uh, if you do the equations to determine the biological effective dose of the fractionation to over the five to six weeks versus the fractionation over the three to four weeks, they are biologically equivalent. But that's not enough. We still need to follow the patients over time. So these trials have follow-up now, median follow-up, meaning half the patients have even been followed longer for over 10 years, showing uh, an equivalency in the outcomes as far as uh, breast cancer recurrence in both arms. And in fact, the hypofractionated course, which is what we call the shorter course, there was a trend, a statistical trend towards better outcome. There was a statistical trend towards less side effects. And quality of life studies um, performed with questionnaires on the patients showed a statistical improvement in quality of life, uh, patient uh, perceived quality of life in the shorter course arm.
1: Now, Kristen, just staying on breast cancer for a minute. You know, some patients may ask about uh, something called accelerated partial breast irradiation, some form of radiation therapy that can be given
2: over a week. How about that? Uh, well, yes, partial accelerated partial breast irradiation is offered. Uh, and it is delivered over a one week time with a high dose of rate, relatively high dose radiation in the morning and then again in the afternoon over a five day period. So you are coming in for the 10 fractions. Um, and it can be delivered two ways. It can be delivered externally using that the linear accelerator with external beam of radiation. Or another common way is to have a sort of brachytherapy, which uh, which I will explain what that means in a moment, but a device inserted into the breast that remains in the breast for the week of treatment. What brachytherapy means is that a radiation source is actually placed within the patient's tissues and that applicator that's within the breast um, remains within the breast for the week and the source is inserted into the patient's breast through that applicator. Uh, Accelerated partial breast currently does not have any published phase three data behind it. There are multiple retrospective trials and registry trials. However, um, there we are still waiting for the large phase three data that's been accumulating and now being followed over time. Because particularly for breast cancer, you need to follow these patients over time, especially the type of patient that would be uh, perhaps eligible for accelerated partial breast irradiation. Because an early stage favorable breast cancer can recur 10 to 12 or more years out. So you need to follow these patients for that time period of time to really make sure that this type of treatment as is as effective as the traditional external beam treatment and and we're not quite there yet.
1: And and the other uh, the other thing that patients may ask about is intraoperative radiation therapy that some centers are are doing a one-shot radiation and you're done right at the time of surgery. How about that? Is that backed by evidence and is that something that you
2: you recommend or do? Well, there is some evidence behind it. However, there's been some, uh, there's proponents of intraoperative radiation therapy, and there are those that still are not quite ready to embrace it yet. They feel that the length of time, which is just a couple of years that these patients have been followed, is way too short to start universally adopting this technique. So, uh,
1: Dr. Park, what about about in the field of prostate cancer? I mean, I people talk about all kinds of different uh, techniques for prostate cancer, brachytherapy, stereotactic uh, type procedures for brain cancers. Tell us more about some of the other specialized techniques in in the cancers that you treat.
3: Absolutely. So in prostate cancer, we're actually all, we're probably about five years behind breast cancer, in a sense, in terms of hypofractionation. There have been trials now with slightly shorter follow-up, more in the five to seven-year range now, but are showing similar results overall that in Instead of nine weeks of of, uh, once-a-day treatment, five days a week, we may be able to go down to about five-and-a-half to six weeks in some cases, sometimes even as little as four weeks, and in some very selected cases, as little as five sessions total uh, in a process called SBRT, or Stereotactic Body Radiation Therapy. So the idea behind it is that you can increase the dose uh, per fraction, or each time you come in, and uh, come in a fewer number of times. The idea behind it being to increase patient convenience and to limit the side effects caused by the treatments uh, while not compromising on the effectiveness of the treatments. Uh, But uh, it's quite subtle in terms of figuring out who are good candidates for those treatments. Uh, but those are, this is an area of, of a lot of research going on right now about trying to figure this out for prostate cancer, whereas in brain and in lung cancer, this has been more well-established for a long time, that anywhere between one and five sessions of high-dose radiation may be possible to potentially cure patients with these diseases.
1: What about brachytherapy for prostate cancer? I mean, there are people who talk about having seeds implanted, and how does that work?
3: So seeds can be implanted through brachytherapy, which is an internal radiation therapy. Uh, so this is done in the operating room where seeds are placed in a very, just in a, uh, in a very conformal way to be sure that you're getting the dose internally fr- from inside the body out instead of coming from the outside To the inside of the body. Uh, So, this is something that can be used in some patients. Uh, But with the advent of IMRT and with SBRT overall, the need for brachytherapy in prostate cancer has been declining in this country overall. And there are fewer and fewer people doing it because the side effects are getting much less from prostate IMRT generally. Uh, So, we're much better able to spare the normal organs around the prostate than we used to be. So, the theoretical advantage of brachytherapy coming from inside the prostate, rather than coming in from the outside, is less than it used to be.
1: So, Kristen, tell me, I mean, it sounds like there have been all of these advances. I mean, you're changing the doses, you're changing techniques, you're trying to minimize side effects, you're increasing patient satisfaction and convenience. Are there other clinical trials ongoing? I mean, is this the end of the
2: line, or are there more exciting things on the horizon? Uh, Well, some of the exciting things on the horizon for breast cancer are are centered around trying to figure out who doesn't need the radiation. So can we get rid of it altogether? (laughs) Well, we're not quite there yet. Um, But we're trying to determine which patients are in a low enough risk Category with that evidence, with evidence behind it that we can forego the radiation and not sacrifice outcome. For example, um, as I think that you know, and many of your listeners may know, a large trial called the CALGB 9343 included women over 70 with early stage estrogen. receptor-positive breast cancers who'd undergone lumpectomy with negative margins and with pathologically or clinically negative nodes. And typically, patients that have a lumpectomy are are treated with radiation. That's been the standard of care for actually a few decades now, um, based on large randomized trials from the past multiple However, this trial, the clgb 9343 followed these women out now for over 10 years, and it was a phase three well-done trial where one group had the radiation therapy, the other did not. They all, a caveat, they all had to take what we call endocrine therapy, uh, a pill for at least five years following the treatment that helps to prevent the cancer from coming back but really the advantages from the radiation for that group were very minor and it is safe in those patients to withhold the radiation therapy. But of course not every patient that comes in is over 70 and their cancer doesn't necessarily meet all of those criteria. So that we certainly are still offering radiation to the majority of women who receive lumpectomy. Um, so some exciting trials, for example, there's the PRIME2 and some other trials that have expanded that cohort of patients uh, down to the age Age 65. However, we've only been following those patients for uh, about five years now, median follow-up. And like we talked about for breast cancer, that's not quite long enough. It's looking favorable. However, we need to follow those patients out longer before we can universally adopt, telling women 65 and up with these favorable characteristics that they can withhold breast cancer. I'm, I'm sorry, radiation. radiation.
1: What, about, what about in your fields, uh, Dr. Park? Any exciting clinical trials in either head and neck cancers or prostate cancer?
3: Absolutely, so the uh, on one end, Early stage, uh, <laughs> with early stage breast cancer, uh, there's a movement towards, towards decreasing uh, the amount of treatment that's needed. But then some other cancers, including head and neck cancer, there's a need to sometimes increase the, the, um, how aggressive we are in curing these cancers. So sometimes chemo and radiation and surgery are not enough to cure patients with, with some of these uh, more advanced cancers uh, that have a tendency to come back often. So immunotherapy is something that's being used a lot in patients' really with uh, all sorts of, of cancers at, at more advanced stages uh, when we're realizing that we're not quite getting in our, uh, the outcomes good enough yet. So when you combine that with chemotherapy and or radiation therapy, there are ongoing trials right now that have been looking at immunotherapy and, uh, and, and, and trying to use that to the advantage of, of the patient. Uh, and I think it has a lot of appeal to it given that patients uh, would like to have their own immune systems work against their cancer and help, help fight the cancer along with the radiation and the chemotherapy that may also be needed.
1: What about in prostate cancer? Are, are there advances in clinical trials looking at radiation or avoiding radiation in that setting? In prostate cancer, the trials
3: are more looking right now at uh, at, at trying to uh, figure out if hypofractionation or this, uh, or if we can decrease the need for uh, as, as many uh, sessions of radiation going forward. It's similar to early stage breast cancer, where for most prostate cancers, we're doing quite well overall in terms of outcomes. So most patients, whether they get surgery or radiation therapy uh, tend to do pretty well for the most part. And and few patients overall die of their prostate cancer among the total number of patients who get prostate cancer. So we're trying more and more to decrease the dose and also even the need for any therapy at all for some patients. We often do active surveillance for people with low-risk prostate cancer, where we believe that the benefit of treating them may actually be outweighed by the risks of treating them. And we are more and more cognizant of the fact that uh, our treatments are not always necessary in prolonging life or in improving quality of life. And if we don't achieve either of those goals, then there is no point in the treatment. Uh, So we try to be very cautious of of giving treatments uh, without a very good reason to do so.
0: Dr. Henry Park is an assistant professor of therapeutic radiology at Yale School of Medicine. And Dr. Kristen Knowlton is an assistant clinical professor at Yale and a clinician in therapeutic radiology. If you have questions, the address is yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. I'm Bruce Barber, reminding you to tune in each week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio.